of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Zelig. Um, I'm your host, Holly Cork, with my co-host here and also my dad, Del Breckenfeld. Hi, Dad. Hey, Holly. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing today? Well, I, I know, know we're on different time zones. Yeah, but Chicago's nice weather, I heard, you know. Um, a little I'm still bit. Up on Vancouver Island enjoying the rain every day because <laughs> if I was in California there would be no rain um, but you're going to be here soon which is exciting you're coming yeah, out in a couple we, days we have a big announcement the gambler has returning every time we go don't you know don't miss this gambler reunion but we had such a, 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 a such, went so well last time that this time we upgraded we got an offer to do the Arcadia theater yeah St. Charles right near your my brother Ed, your uncle, uh, your uncle Ed, <laughs> and um, what's really cool is we're, uh, our support group uh, act is off Broadway, which is a band we did play with back in the old days, and so it's kind of a celebration of '80s Midwest rock, not just Chicago, because both bands got major record deals. Um, we ended up, I think they traveled. We ended up traveling more, I think, outside of the Midwest, but they were a big draw. So we think it's going to be a great show. Ticket sales are really, really going well. Yay. And that's it. And so anyway, I thought I announced that. And then the other yeah. thing. Let's plug that really quick, though, before. So it's Saturday, yeah. May 27th, right. everyone. May, uh, May 28th. Oh, sorry. 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 May 28th um, at Arcadia Theater in St. Charles. And uh, you guys can get tickets online by going to their website and you can purchase tickets ahead of time that way. So yeah, we're really excited because, you know, as, as we said on the last uh, podcast, Andy and I, unfortunately, we had to miss the last show because we were in Denver looking at uh, properties. So uh, we're really excited that we're actually going to have to get to be at this show. So, so yeah, great. can't wait. And Freya was at the last show, so maybe we'll tell her if she can come to this one. I don't know if it's all ages. I'll have to check, but we'll have to tell her I won't wear sunglasses. <laughs> he busted me the first song, Lost in the Night, which is a very old song. We kind of resurrected a great opener, and it was Lost in the Night. I came out wearing sunglasses. I don't know what that <laughs> I won't do it this time. She really busted me. Oh, um, and then, okay. you know, tomorrow... Tomorrow is kind of a milestone, not just because it's my birthday. That's what I'm saying. It is your birthday. I was, when I thank you, when I was born, uh, my life expectancy is how old I am right now. And as of tomorrow, Dad. don't go anywhere. Don't take a chance because you could still be that statistic. But officially tomorrow, I've surpassed my life expectancy when I was born. Life expectancy is really going up. Um, not that I dwell on that, but there is a story uh, that came out with uh, in the United States. Uh, I think the Healthcare Institute said that uh, three uh, three out of ten people will live to a hundred now. What? Whoa! Technology. So well, you're going to be goal. one of those. You're going to be one of those. I mean, we no. got. I know we got great genes on your side. Grandma and Grandpa lived. Uh, for a really long time. I think your grandpa, my great grandpa lived to 99, right? So he died just before his hundredth birthday and my grandmother yeah. passed right before her 98th. All right. um, you're going to, uh, you're going to make it. You're going to be one of those, one of those, uh, those three for sure. Great, Holly. I'm glad you're thinking that way. <laughs> and when, uh, when I'm uh, 101, then I can say I outlived that life. <laughs> that life, <laughs> that life expectancy. We got some time to go yet. You know, I got another third of my life to go. Uh, but yeah, you know, you got to stay healthy. You got to stay active. That's the key mentally. And everyone always says uh, that you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm an 18 year old 
inside. I really am. And I think everybody is or whatever era that, you know, I could say 12, but I was a geek, but 18, I was starting to get cool. So I'm an 18 year old. And I'm in, still in, a uh, geek, everyone. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I am. Too. And I look in the, I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is that guy? But you know, it, it is. no, but I, uh, anyway, but thank you for saying that. And, and I do think that uh, maybe our podcast will still be out there and I'll be telling Freya when I'm in the, in the, uh, uh, you know, assisted living that, Freya, did I ever tell you about the time, you know? She's going to be I, like, yes, Papa. Yes, I've heard that story. No, she'll be <laughs> sweet. She'll go, no, you never told me that one, Papa. Tell me about meeting the Rolling Stones. or you Have know, you the- met my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's correct. She did bust me for the sunglasses. So anyway. Aww. Well, we're so excited. I can't wait for that show. I can't, we can't wait to see you in a couple days here. Um, yeah. We'll try, even though things are really crazy for us right now, getting the house together, we're officially moving to Colorado next month. Um, you know, hopefully if we can try to do a, an episode while you're here in person and the two of us can sit together, that would be fun. So we'll try that. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. You know, I, again, I just want to do a quick thank you to everyone so far that has listened to our two previous episodes and for the great feedback and the support. Uh, it really means so much to us, you know, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're mostly doing this just kind of a passion project and, um, yeah, cause my dad has so many of these amazing stories and, you know, I, whenever you start telling strangers or other people in person, everyone seems to be usually really interested. And so, you know, I know we wanted, uh, to do this as, yeah, just kind of as a way to get those stories out there and your thoughts on things and everything. So anyway, we just, you know, I'm blown away by the support we've had and we just really appreciate it. So thank you all so much to continuing to like this. I think we're going to try to uh, start getting these on YouTube as well. So we can get some videos of us out there. And so it's not just our voices. Um, so yeah, slowly, but surely we're, we're getting, we're, we're ramping this up. So thank you again to everyone for listening. Um, okay. All right. So I'm going to jump in a little bit. I, you know, in the last podcast, dad, we talked a lot about the Beatles and their influence on you and your generation. Um, and I was just curious and thought other people would be curious if you've ever met anyone in the Beatles. Well, yes, that would be monumental. <laughs> so I'm going to go down the, the record. Uh, uh, some stories met one, almost met another one and talked to one via faxes in the old days. Fax. And, uh, oh, wow. Faxes. I know, boy, am I dating myself. But, <laughs> uh, uh, and I think I've said before, before cell phones. So believe it or not. Yeah. Before the internet too. But, uh, but in that day, you know, they called your house or you called people, you know, nobody had, even celebrities didn't have the, the phones, you know, so it was kind of interesting but it was a lot easier to meet them at that time. And some of our stories will cover that. But as far as the Beatles go, yes, the only Beatle I met was Ringo. And <laughs> he was super sweet and, um, and nice. And, and so uh, we were working with Peter Frampton, even though he wasn't uh, uh, a, a Fender artist. This was my date years at Fender. Uh, but we got invited to a show. You know Bob Morris. My I do. Yeah, friend. Bob's great. Hi, Bob. Yeah, Bob, I call him Bob the Bastard, and he loves that. Oh, you know, bloody Bastard, BBB, or the original <laughs> Bad Bob. Yeah, he's British, uh, not right? Not to be confused with Pecos Bad Bob, that's inside joke. Um, 
But we get to the show and we went to sound check and we had full on VIP stuff. So we go to the show and Peter lets us in back to stage area. I think it was Universal Amphitheater and it was Ringer's All-Star Band, which is great musicians, fantastic. So we go in there and we're right at the door and Peter takes us up to go to the stage and we turn around there's Ringo and Barbara his lovely wife, who was a Bond girl, but they, they're one of the greatest lasting love stories Aww. for all these years, you know? And, and so Rinko comes up and he's always a little bit nervous, you know, because one of my friends, uh, he was rehearsing at a studio and he had the old Beatle drum kit for, and he was rehearsing in California. My friend, who used to actually work for Gambler, but he moved to California. And he said, yeah, Ringo's so nice. And he said, Ringo walked in and he said, I go, Ringo, that's the original Beetle kit. I can't believe it because he set up the sound and for the rehearsal. And Ringo said, Oh, yeah, you like the Beatles? He goes, God, it was my favorite band of all time. You're my favorite drummer. And Ringo goes, Down on your knees, Nave. <laughs> like that. You know? Oh, like man. Oh, laughing, Ringo. Laughing, you know, Ringo. Uh, and so Ringo comes up and Peter goes, It's my friend Dell and my friend, you know, my friend Bob. And we work with him. He's with Fender. And Ringo's like, Oh, great. And he shakes my hand. And Barbara's just lovely and sweet, and they both come in. So Ringo's like, oh, okay, well, and I'm looking at him thinking, God, when I went to that movie that I talked about, The Hard Day's Night, here he is, and he's just looks great. I mean, I probably 15 years ago, and you couldn't tell what his age was, and just has a this beautiful aura about him, you know, Aww. the friendship and that peace thing that he does, that's that's a really important thing to him. It's not made up, uh, not that it would be, but uh, so um, I go there and this is the weird part of the story. So we're, I'm waiting for sound check and I'm so excited. I'm on stage. All these great artists are getting assembled. And this guy comes up and he comes up to me and he says, um, uh, uh, he says, oh, are you with the band? And I said, no, no, I'm just visiting. I had, you know, my all access pass. And he had no badge on. I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird. All of a sudden security comes running in. They go, get that guy. And he took off, he wanted to meet Ringo. And the fear is, this is so sad that after John Lennon, there's crazy oh, people. Yeah. There. Not that they not that they would do anything, but I Well, not just John Lennon, I mean, Dimebag, I mean, which I know at some point right. we're going to talk about as well. I mean, yeah, it's scary. And now with, sorry, but now with, uh, you know, Chris Rock and uh, Dave Chappelle that just happened. I mean, that it's got to be terrifying, I'm sure, for artists on stage, you know? So yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. And John Lennon loved New York because every, everyone left him alone. He, they didn't bother him, you know, and he gave a sick, he signed an autograph for uh, the guy that assassinated him. I won't even yeah. say his name. But anyway, I don't mean to be a downer, but Ringo was sweet. Though. That was meeting Ringo. The next one, which was the, almost, the almost meet, was Paul McCartney. And it was one of the greatest shows. So Sir, Sir Paul McCartney. Sir, Sir Paul, Paul McCartney. McCartney. I'm a bass player. I still got my Hoffner bass somewhere. And... Um, model one of the great bass players of all time so melodic and um the great singer and songwriter so i i couldn't emulate any of the beatles but as far as playing i really felt that paul you know i could i could channel the melodies in my writing and bass arrangements and uh just a fraction of the talent he had um but um so we were offered a chance we i i did most of the fundraising for the fender music foundation and a lot of that was the Grammy Foundation as well. And we actually started a music program 
uh, for the Grammy camp and uh, a long story on that, a different story, but Billie Eilish came into that and worked oh. with some of the kids. So, I mean, there's a uh, wonderful programs, but I started all that, uh, you know, on behalf of Fender. And um, so we were invited to help a fundraiser for Paul when he was married to um, Heather McCartney and she had, she had lost a leg in an accident, but she had a landmine charity and Paul's always charitable, right? So we, Jay Leno was hosting. The opening act was Brian Wilson. I think about that, right? Oh, Another man. idol. And the in between was Stephen Stills, who I knew from working with at Fender and stuff, uh, playing acoustically all the Crosby, Stills, and Nash hits and stuff in, in the audience. It was the most amazing night. So anyway, Brian Wilson comes on. It's acoustic, kind of unplugged. Brian comes on and he says, uh, uh, he said, uh, well, uh, I'm going to start with the, the song and he does smile, which had just come out and amazing vocals. I mean, a big or band with him. And then halfway through, he goes, well, and he's looking down and he's like, well, this, this man said he really likes this song and said, he said, it's his favorite single. He's looking down like this and he goes, Paul, will you come out and help me? Paul comes out and sings, let it be. And I'm literally in the, in the first table. Oh, wow. right in front of them and here's this angelic voice that paul has with brian wilson oh. uh i i singing actually uh uh god only knows i should have said that god only knows okay uh, i'm Great. sorry beautiful I just, song i just ruined the story but anyway that's okay i want like doesn't that god only knows with paul's voice and carl wilson had sang that who had an angelic voice brian wasn't the lead singer on that it was his brother so in the break for all the sponsors that were in up front, they bring us out to meet Paul. And I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going to meet Paul. Mm -hmm. And he's coming down and he's Paul all smiling and hey, all oh, chap, you know, people are taking pictures. I'm like, I'm not going to ask for a picture, but I'm going to shake the man's hand. That's all it's going to be, right? I go up to him and, uh, and, and he's coming right towards me and he sees me, he doesn't know who I am, but there's a receiving line, there's a rope, you know, but he's meeting everybody. And uh, he reaches forward to shake my hand. This guy shoves me out of the way, <gasps> young guy. And he goes, Paul, you look the greatest of ever all time, you know, and then and this, and then that's it. And Paul goes, oh, thank you, thank you, and walks by. And I'm like, I look um... at the guy, it was like moonstruck. He goes, Paul, touch my hand. And he's holding his hand up and I, uh... And Bettina, my wife Bettina's like, don't hit him, Del. <laughs> I was like, one moment. So not to most people who wouldn't care, but to me. But it was a moment. Oh, but then Paul plays. That guy, if that guy's out there, if you're listening to this right now. Yeah. <laughs> thanks please, for that. please. And so, uh, so Paul goes on the receiving line. That was it. So in, in the break, after I came back in, Brian's sitting there. And I go up and I go, Brian, I just want to say, uh I'm a big fan of the beach boys i work with fender i know you played on you know fender and i said but i did a movie a tv series called uh nearest uh, it was based on nearest faraway place it was called beach boys american family it was a mini series and very successful and i said uh and i did all the instruments that leo gave you and i recreated your white bass exactly and he played when he was 18 years old and he looks at me and you know brian brian now and brian goes oh Wonderful. That's all he said. You know, but I'm saying, but still, almost Paul and Brian, you know, I got to tell him. So Paul goes up and then he plays amazing set. And right in the middle, he says, So oh, I got to return the favor. I guess he likes this song. Brian, come on out and sing. Brian sings Let It Be with Paul. Oh. Crying. 
I mean, yeah. me too. Me I would cry. Yeah. And of course, when he does hate Jude, everyone cries again. But it was just a wonderful moment. So that's my almost meeting Paul story. Aww. And then um, George is a funny story. I like it. So um, Clapton, Eric Clapton, when I first started Thunder, Eric Clapton wanted these amps made. They were like uh, reproductions of what the Stones use. They're for technical speaking. I don't want to get too technical. 1957 high powered twins. And they take out a rectifier tube and it distorts. So when you see the Stones this summer, all they are playing through are these two little Fender amps that kept rebuilt and everything. So, so mm -hmm. the originals are kind of hard to come by, but you got to playing at that volume every night. You got to be able, you know, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, guys like that blow out their amps all the time, but they like the retro amps. Fender makes new amps, but they like the original. So Clapton wanted one. So a guy named John Sir, who you knew very well and worked yep. at Fender, our neighbor, he uh, built a perfect one. So I get a call from B.B. King's manager that, that, that he promised. We never offered this amp. We just did it for Clapton. He was our signature. He had his name on the guitars. And uh, so he promised B.B. King one, which I did. And I thought that was an honor. The next one we did was Mark Knopfler, another from Dire Straits, another great yeah. guitar player. The last one was George Harrison. Oh. So his tech calls me and I said, you know, it'd be an honor to do it for George. And I said, you know, it's always been an idea of mine to build, to, uh, build uh, I mean, uh, to redo the Rocky guitar, which is the one that he painted. If you watch Magical Mystery Tour, uh, the video for I Am the Walrus or uh, the one they did on TV, which was Hello Goodbye. George had a, a strap, part of it was actually John Lennon's. They had two of them, they switched and he painted it himself and they called it Rocky and he put the name Rocky on it. I said, I wanna do Rocky with Fender. That was part of my job, bringing this stuff. So a guy named um, Alan Rogan who passed away, but he was legendary with the Who and ACDC. He was the go-to guy. And he's at George's house and he contacted me and he said, hey, if you're interested, send George a letter. Here's his fax number. That's where the fax comes in. You know? <laughs> but George's not going to get on the phone. Dear Mr. Dear Mr. Harrison, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so I write this whole thing, how we'd be honored to do it. Alan calls me and he goes, oh, he's not interested. And, and, then, so he and then so a week later after that call, calls me again. And he says, Dell. You're such an a-hole. And, and I'm like, what? You know, what did I do? He said, we found out that there's a store called Johnny Guitar on Sunset across from Guitar Center and they're selling the Rocky. <gasps> you guys made one anyway. And I go, oh. first of all, we would never do that. Second of all, we don't, I'm, it's my job. I work for legal as well for anything licensed. I'd have to get the approval. That's impossible. And he said, well, you did it. And we're really pissed off. George was really pissed. And I'm like, oh no. So I go, so I go incognito, not that they would know me, but I put like this baseball hat on and I'm, you know, I come in and I'm looking around like this in the store. I go to Johnny Rocket undercover, you know, stealth, like a detective, because I gotta see if it is Fender, what happened? So the guy comes up and, and he goes, hey, can I help you? And I go, yeah, dude, I'm here to, <laughs> so bad. Dude, I'm here to look at the, the, the you guys had a, like a Rocky guitar, Rocky? Oh yeah, you know, the George Harrison. Oh yeah, yeah, we had it. We had that guitar. And he said, but somebody bought it. And I said, oh, and I said, so Fender puts that out? And he goes, no, no, it's not Fender. Some company in England. And I actually knew the guy that did it. I didn't work with him, but I knew who he was. He told me this company name. And he said, they knock off everybody. They're doing Clapton's rain, you know, 
psychedelic guitar. They do Hendrix's stuff. And they did the George guitar. So we sold it like the, right away. So I said, well, thank you very much. You're going to get any more? And he goes, no, no, you, it's a one-shot thing. And I said, great. So I go back, uh, go back and I call Alan. And I go, Alan, <laughs> I go, I got to tell you one thing. I go, first of all, they sold the guitar, but the guy told me it wasn't Fender. It was this company in England that knocked it off. And he goes, yeah, I know George bought it. <laughs> oh! <laughs> How do you like that story? Oh my George, god! George, I don't know if George went in and bought it. Probably Alan did, but and he said George said it's fine. You know, he got it that it wasn't you. He wasn't accusing you, but then he knew the story, and I'm sure he wanted to have the duplicate of it. But um, but George had a uh, when he did his video for I got my mind set on you. I think he called Johnny Guitar and Guitar Center a few places to remember the guitars he used to play. So if anybody goes back and watches that video, and that was a hit song for George. Uh, it wasn't original. He had, they had done that, I think, with the early Beatles, but great song. Got my mind set on you. And he was sitting with the clock, and each time he played a different guitar, and they had to find, they had to tell George what guitars he used to play. Rickenbacker, you know, anyway. So that's my George story. Oh, and, man. And Sad, Dad, you pissed off a Beatle. You had a Beatle mad at you. <laughs> I wonder where that 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 fax went. And in the old days, you know, you had fax stuff like Prince wanted princes in um tech wanted to get a guitar but it was when prince you couldn't use prince's name so he had to draw he had to fax me the specs on it and draw the symbol like crudely draw the symbol i mean i wish i kept that stuff it was pretty yeah. funny and said i have to answer them i would have to draw the symbol you know oh not, yeah to send back. my handwriting is you can't even read it. it's like a you know second grader but <laughs> as far as john goes uh uh it was interesting. I have met the Beatles kids, worked with them, their, their children. And um, I went to see my book publisher, Wiley, my, uh, one of my favorite people uh, on earth, uh, uh, Matt Holt, who was my publisher for The Cool Factor. Every time I go to New York, he'd want to go to a concert so, or a show. So he brought me in the Bowery of all places. And he had PBR lined up because he's from Chicago. He figured, you know, I'm go they drink it in New York. Oh, they love this beer. It's working class. So we go to see Sean Lennon. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. And, 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 and he was playing with uh, Rufus Rainbow the third. I mean, it was the greatest concert in a little club in the round. And so after the show, and he's, and, and, and Sean is playing um, a jazz master. And I go up and I go, wow, you know, I didn't know Fender. So I go up to him. And, uh, and I go, hey, I'm Dell. I work with Fender. Oh, great to meet you. you know, I said, do you ever have a relationship with Fender? With I didn't do an artist relations time. I was doing marketing. And I said, do you ever have a relationship? And he goes, nah, I called him. Nobody called me back and everything. And I said, well, I'm the guy from Fender. What do you need? And he said, well, I really like a guitar like this. And he said, check it out. And I hold it. And I go, hey, this is really cool. It's kind of old. What is it? And he goes, oh, my dad gave that to me. It was John Lennon's. Oh, wow. And I that was another one I got to hold. I, I touched it. I got I to held, touch I held, it. I played George's Rosewood Telly from the Roof of Apple. I played his guitar from the Cavern Club, thankfully, and it was all legal. No, no tricks. Um, and then uh, one quick story on this and we'll, we'll get off. So I did, and I did meet Julian Lennon, just a social thing, a very nice. I, and I worked with Jim, James McCartney when I had a thing at, uh, which is Paul's son. And he looks like him. He's a little heavier. What a great 
uh, a singer and performer. He played in the music lodge at Sundance that I did every year for charity. And he wanted to play and he brought his band. He was excellent. He did this great song. I don't remember the name. He gave me the record. He spelled my name wrong. I that's okay. <laughs> but I don't know. That's all right. But he was such a nice uh, guy. And he was kind of nervous. I could tell you, he's Paul McCartney's son, but he's talented. And I said, you know, I got to tell you that riff you did was amazing. That song was great. And he goes, well, I'll just tell you, my dad wrote that riff. <laughs> like, okay. So there's the circle, you know, and the last one was Danny Harrison. One of the sweetest guys looks just like George. If anybody have seen concert for George, where he, the Beatles are on stage and not John, but Paul Ringo. And it, there it looks just like George. So everybody at Fender's like, don't say anything to him about his dad, you know, don't bring it up. And I don't know if I told this story before. On the I don't know. I, I, this is the first so time this for is me. The, so we were at NAMM. Caught, it was a lot on our credit card because he loved the, these wine and he had two bodyguards with him, of course, but the nicest guy. And I'm not saying anything about the Beatles. And right in the middle of it, he goes, you have some sort of accent. And he goes, I, I can't place it. I can't place it, you know? And we had been having, you know, a couple glasses of wine or more, maybe bottles. And, <laughs> a couple uh, two tree Fender bottles. Were there too, but, you know, he was just telling great stories, but not about his dad, you know, it was his music and stuff. And he liked me because my friend, Elliot Kendall, shout out to Elliot, one of my favorite people. He had a box set of Buddy Holly that, and, and I remember reading that Danny liked Buddy Holly, and so Elliot brought him a box set, and 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 he and 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 he has a picture. There's a great picture. I'll try to find it of us together. But uh, but Danny, when he wore glasses, it was like Buddy Holly glasses, you know. And so he got down on his knees like this and said, "Bless you, bless you." It was just beautiful. So he just liked me because you know, I mean, he I, he knew that I that I it's a little favor, big no big deal. But he had a great relationship with Fender, a guy named Michael Schultz, who's still there. Danny and him got along. We were able to do Rocky years later because of Danny. So I'm just there at dinner. And I said, well, you know, Danny, and he goes, it's like Midwest something. And I go, yeah, yeah, Chicago. And he goes, oh my God. He goes, let me tell you something my dad said. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me something your dad said. Please do. I was, I was playing ACDC and I'm learning this music and I'm shredding on it. And of course, you know, Danny said when he was young, he thought his dad was a gardener. He never saw him playing guitar. He didn't know the Beatles. He thought he was always outside working in the garden. Interesting. And so my dad comes in and he goes, you can't learn that stuff. It's great music. But if you want to learn ACDC or any of that rock, you got to go back to the beginning. You got to listen to blues. And yeah. you got to listen to Chicago blues, electric blues, first bands, drums, electric bass, 1951, the first Fender bass, that was in Muddy Waters band. That was a prototype rock band. That was everything that we hear today, even the Zeppelin prototype, basically. Uh, and he um, and I said, oh, that's really great. And I said, were you ever in you've gone to Chicago, right? And, you know, I figured he must have gone to Chess Studios. And he said, yeah, he said, when I played Lollapalooza, it was, you know, in the park. He said it was my it was Harrison Street. And I called my dad and I said, hey, I'm playing at Harrison Street. And his dad, George, said, um, well, uh, do you know that the Dalai Lama stayed in the hotel on Harrison his first trip to the United States? You know, that's important to George, you know, that was Chicago and it was Harrison. And he said, so it's very spiritual for me to talk about Harrison Street. And I go, well, there's one more thing, Danny. Do you know that Harrison Street connects with another street? South Michigan Avenue? Yeah. Chess Studios. 
freaked out. I absolutely oh. freaked out. The rest of the night, all he was doing was talking about blues and Chicago. Oh. And it was just one, he's just the sweetest guy. And everybody at Fender's like, there you go. <laughs> you know, and he's telling me Beatles stories, you know, not, you know, so anyway. So those are all the Beatles stories. I didn't even oh, yeah. No, that's okay. Hey, there's still time too, right? There's still, hey, we'll put it out there in the universe or if yeah. this finds their way to to any of the Beatles ears, <laughs> give the it Beatles ears. Yeah, there reach is out some, to Paul, us. Paul is out there. I'm not, I'm going to be traveling. I won't be able to go to the show. I've seen Paul many times live. I never saw the Beatles, but you know, I did see Ringo several times. I've seen Paul several times. Um, and I did I tell my George Martin story? I did tell that one, I think. Did I ever tell that one? Not if I too. if I didn't, we can edit it out, right? Andy, <laughs> Andy, our editor. Andy. Uh, so I, I get invited to George Martin's retirement party. I thought I told the story and I got a, it was in my life and it was Jeff Beck and Celine Dion. All these people did an album, a tribute to Sir George. And, no. um, and I got this beautiful martini glass as a gift. And it said in my life on the inside. And a friend of mine worked for the label and she met her husband through me. And uh, her name's Lisa Ferris and still well-known in the industry. She's an executive that was at the Grammys of record labels. And, uh, and anyway, uh, and so uh, JJ Ferris is her husband and musician I worked with, uh, you know, with Fender and even back to Washburn. And she goes, well, JJ thought you should go to meet because everybody gets to meet George. There's a receiving line, like the Paul line. I go, well, is there a, is there any kind of barrier? And she goes, no, he's just going to meet people. She didn't know the Paul story. And I said, do you think he'd sign something? And she said, I'll ask him because she was his A&R person at the label. And um, she said, but I'm sure it's okay. Here's what you do. Put it in your trunk. You're, it's a Beverly Hills hotel. It's in the trunk. If he says yes, you can have time to go get it. So I have two picture discs. You probably remember from the wall. One a picture disc where it's an actual album, but it's it's got the album cover on the actual record. But you can still play it. And I never opened them. And one was Abbey Road and one was Sgt. Pepper. The two greatest, I thought the two greatest. So I brought both of them. I figure I'll decide when I get there. <laughs> well, sure enough, there's a receiving line. And Lisa comes up and she goes, yeah, he would love to meet you. You know, he loves Fender. And I told him who you are. Uh, and he will sign. Go get some, Go get it. So I run back and I put the little glass so it wouldn't break. I put that in, my, in the car. And I go, what could I do? Well, it's got to be Abbey Road, right? The sound's on Abbey Road for producer. So I come running back. And there's, Sergeant Pepper doesn't have a lot of room to sign, you know? And I said, Sir George, I just have to ask you. And he goes, oh, no, I, I will, uh, uh, Sir Martin, I think I said. And he goes, we'll have none of that. It's George, just call me George. And I go, okay, Sir George. I got to do it, I was tongue tied. And he's such an elegant man, tall, uh -huh. and he still looked handsome and, um, and, I, and very distinguished. And I said, I, look, I work with Fender. Oh, Fender made a lot of great music, not just for the Beatles, but so many groups I work with. It's just a wonderful company. I said, thank you, George, uh, Sir George. And I said, but I appreciate that. And I said, I, I, I just want to tell you something. Um, you've heard it a million times, two million times, but what you did, the whole reason I'm in the music business is what you did. He was the fifth Beatle. I said, what you did with the Beatles changed so many lives. And for me, I couldn't imagine not having that in my life and what I do today. And I'm still doing it, obviously. And he goes, can I tell you something? And I go, yeah. And he goes, he was highly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sweet. And I said, well, I'm going to ask you to, and, and he looks at me, he goes, you want me to sign that? And I'm oh, please. And right across where they're walking on the crossroad. Here it is, George. Oh, uh... 
One of my albums oh. never sell and I'll never, I'll will it to you, Hal. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you I'm guys heard it. When I'm ready to go, I'll will it to you. <laughs> Remember that. It's on anyway. for our school, for our school of rock so the, and color. Yeah, so, but the great, you know, the great part of all this is sharing the Zelig part is I don't belong in any of those places. You know, I was a guest or I was invited through friends or however I ended up. And it was extremely special. And to meet those people and realize that all of them are just everything that you think, but they're people. You know, Ringo yeah. was just, you know, he was just natural and he knows who he is. He knows his importance, but you, you, there's no diva. If there's a male diva or, we, we, you know, even I'm going to say females the same way. I met Dolly Parton. I'm the most wonderful, sweetest person you could imagine. Those people are so genuine. I think that's part of their success. And yeah, anyway, people love them. So I've met so many wonderful artists that, uh, that I had no concept other than their stage persona or what their agent says or PR people say, but then when you meet them, you know, and, and, and if you don't treat them like that, you, you can, it be, it's a lot more respectful. Yeah. You don't ask for a picture. You don't ask for the autograph. George was somebody asked on my behalf. I never asked Ringo for an autograph or anything or a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dad, I love those stories. Oh, and, and, you know, like we touched on, I think even in the first episode, um, you know, I know we've spent a couple episodes talking about the Beatles and and some stories that you have and what they meant to you. But you know, I, again, I I think there's no understating how important they were to you and and the music business as or the industry as a whole. Um, so yeah, so thanks for sharing those stories. Um, and yeah. Holly, the Beatles influenced everybody. I told this story to a friend of mine the other day, John Spingola, who I love dearly, who recommended when you asked me about the podcast, he was the one that said, you got to do it. I'm <laughs> part of it. I'm tired of hearing the same story, but you always have a story about everything. And I said, I don't like to always tell. He goes, no, you should, because this is your, if people like it, they like it. If they don't, okay. But yeah. you know, I like it and you like it. And the family hears stuff, but it helps me remember. One story reminds me of another. And um, I was telling about Los Lobos because they're an agency I'm working with, uh, one, of, uh, one of their agents. And um, Los Lobos are the nicest guys. I mean, when Abigail Ibera, she was the last person we had that worked for Leo Funder. She wanted pickups. She wanted Stevie Ray Vaughan's pickups. John Mayer would come in, Eddie Van Halen. They'd have to have her. And a gray-haired lady sit there and hand-wind their pickups. And they, they were moved by that, right? And she was so special when she was going to retire. Los Lobos, I had this, I set up a stage. They came and did a concert for her personally. Los oh, Lobos. wow. Right? And I had worked with that band for years and they did charity stuff. They came out for Bettina and I for the homeless shelter. They opened for Tom Petty, who also did a concert for us for fundraising. Oh, it was just wonderful people. But I took Caesar, who's left-handed, like Paul McCartney. He plays the other way. And he wanted to get this acoustic because they were doing La Bamba. In the movie La Bamba, that's the group that does the music for uh, Richie Valens. And he wanted to get the acoustic because they played the original, at the end, the original version of La Bamba. That's a Mexico, Mexico, if you know the movie, it's a classic Mexican folk song. And so I had this Rodriguez, these gut string, nylon string acoustics. And so we went there and I bought 10 of them for him to try the right one. And he could play upside down. He just, they were right-handed, he played both ways or he played it upside down and figured it out. So he found the one he likes. And I said, man, listening to plays is so good. You know, we're about the same age. And I said, um, you know, like, who are your influences? Thinking of like, 
La Bamba or, you know, Richie Valens or something like that, which is so narrow-minded that I would think just it's going to be a Mexican group or something. And he goes, you are such a gringo. How old are you? <laughs> I told him, he goes, the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, I guess that's it. And he goes, number one, it was the Beatles. We wanted wow. to be the Beatles, but we happen to be Spanish speaking, you know, band that started out doing, you know, weddings and stuff like that. There's a great wow. box great box set where they play uh, the early recordings from when they did weddings and block parties and Norman Span. anyway that's the influence of the Beatles I yeah believe. yeah I think it spans across uh every generation since since they've been around and every we I and mean, I know we've touched on this before too but almost every music genre I mean they've they've touched so much so yeah so if everyone's like man they're talking about the Beatles a lot that you know that's why we can't um we can't just, we can't say enough just how important they were to everything. So, mm -hmm. so cool. Well, thanks for sharing the story. So let's switch gears in a little bit. Um, so again, I know we just, we, you know, we touched a lot about the Beatles and, and, you know, and how they influenced you and how you got started. I'm curious uh, about hearing about some other either, uh, sorry, artists that you've idolized or have influenced you. You want to share some of those? Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, there's so many that I had the honor of meeting and we'll do it in a future podcast. By the way, that's all my Beatles stories. That's it? That's all yeah. you got? Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew, I, yeah. I knew. For the next couple podcasts. <laughs> Um, so let me go down the list. So most interesting artist, and they're all interesting to a certain extent, is a guy named Jeff Skunk Baxter. And Jeff is, uh, once again, huge Beatle, you know, fanatic, but an amazing guitar player. And when Gambler was Buster before we got our record deal, we did cover songs. And a lot of the cover songs we did were Steely Dan. And we did this song, My Old School. And it was like this great guitar solo. And other ones, I, that's the one I remember. Our singer at the time, Pete Clare, guitar player, was really hard to do that solo. But we see Jeff on TV. He was with the Doobie Brothers. He also, he played with Steely Dan, but he was mainly the guy on the Doobie Brothers. And everyone remembers him from having a beret, a big walrus mustache, and he sat. Mm -hmm. He always sat. And that was his thing. He didn't want to perform. He, he's a monster guitar player. And he told me a story one day that uh, he could have been Hendrix's bass player. He worked at a music store and Jimmy came in because Jimmy was always burning his guitars and losing them and girlfriends would steal them because he, you know, he didn't pay the rent or on their place. It was great stories, but, and, and I have other things on Hendrix at a later date I'll talk about. I don't know Jimmy, but worked extensively with the estate. And uh, it's just fascinating to hear all the, the you know, Jimmy that's still one of the greatest, if not the greatest. By the way, it's his 80th birthday this year. Oh, yeah, he would have been 80. Um, sad. R.I.P. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, and Hendrix came in and he needed a bass player. This is before Jimmy went to um, uh, to England with Chas Chandler. He's still playing clubs like Cafe Go Go, Cafe Wa, and stuff like that. And um, and he said, Hey, I need a bass player. You want to be my bass player? <laughs> and and Skunk goes, Now nah, I got my job here, and I can't. Do anything. You know, you love, you know, it, it, and he said he turned down Jimi Hendrix, you know, but he's a great guitar player in his own right. But that's a great story that he told me, wonderful story. And Jimmy ended up getting Mitch, uh, Mitch Mitchell in England and uh, Noel Redding, who was a guitar player, and he talked him into playing bass. That's what Jimmy wanted a guy that knew the guitar for the riffage and stuff. 
riffs of the melodies and like Purple Haze and all those uh, uh, and uh, Voodoo Child, you know, those great riffs that Jimmy would come up with, one of them doubled. So um, anyway, the interesting thing about Jeff and I got to work with him extensively, produced the Ventures and I worked at the honor working with the Ventures. That's a long story, but maybe in future, but that's a band I grew up with and many people did that didn't have a singer. So when you don't have a singer, you can play surf music. And even though we were in Chicago and the Ventures never really surfed, but Walk Don't Run is the classic of all time, you know? And I booked them on some shows and did charity and worked on and on. And so Jeff produced some stuff we went in the studio and listened to, which was amazing. And uh, the last one, Don Wilson just passed away. So that was the last, I knew all of them, but that he's the last surviving member. So really an era gone, he, I think 86 when he passed, it was like maybe five months ago. And I did an exhibit on the ventures at the uh, Grammy Museum right before COVID and then COVID shut it down, sad. But anyway, I got to go through their historical stuff. But as far, and that included Jeff's recordings. And so Jeff had a studio, I used to visit him, Sunset Marquee where Gambler recorded, he had his own studio there. And we became really good friends. And he came, we were working on something for Fender called the Skunk Caster. The skunk caster, right? Okay. I had that cleared with Fender. They don't like trademark running around, but it was Skunk Baxter and the owner of the company, Bill Schultz, loved him. And he's an innovator, smartest guy I've ever met. I mean, as far as technical stuff, maybe your Uncle Bruce equal in that world as being a tech, you know, and designing recording boards and stuff. But Jeff was this monster guitar player. And so do you tell him that, hey, man, we could, we used to struggle with your solos that you did. You're amazing, you know? And Steely Dan was the hardest group to record from. They beat up those guys so much. I think he did a hundred takes or whatever on oh, that. Oh man. Right. So, but he's part, his dad is in the military or was, and Jeff is in the missile command. And this great guitar player who still tours and plays with the Doobie brothers and solo stuff. Okay. Wow. Get the stories going. I'm at NAM, and um, I was working on uh Kenny Wayne Shepherds, uh, which an artist I signed, and my I got an amp for him, a twin, because he kept you know, blowing up the twins. And so I was sending a twin to him. And when I loaded, I just was late at night and I'm gonna send it out before I go home. And I had, uh, I think uh, my pager or something <laughs> and it fell in the back of his amp. The great story, and I'll tell the ending of that story too. And all of a sudden I had a pager and that's how they used to reach me. But then cell phones came out. <laughs> time and I'm like good I lost my pager I call Fender oh yeah yeah we'll get we're getting the first cell phones you can get one of the first ones great so we're at NAM. I just get NAM, which is our big associations coming up this June it's usually in LA in the winter time but this time you want to say what uh NAM stands for for National that- Association of Music Merchants yeah and you know uh, uh Nuno Betancourt one of my great artists uh Steve Stevens back in Washburn many Fender artist adventures uh, Eddie Van Halen, they would all come and play or meet people. Dimebag Daryl, when I, I brought him to Washburn, when I left for Fender, I went to see him at NAM. you know, I, uh, you know, and he would be there and meeting people. It's a great way, but it's manufacturers showing their wares. Public can get in if they, on the last day, but mostly ours are there to meet the dealers and promote their product. And, um, you know, and all the stores small from around the world, the smaller stores, 80,000 buyers are there. And it's packed. It's at the convention center. It used to be in Chicago at McCormick Place, but it's always 20 years it's been in LA or longer. And you see the new products and you sign up and you buy them. So that's 
it's a it's a nonprofit, but it's very worthwhile. Now a lot of big companies like Guitar Center they buy for the whole year. Sweetwater they don't you know Chicago Music Exchange they just pretty much buy their all their product for the year. But at Nam you can be a small dealer and order stuff. Okay. You used to put me to work there, Dad, when yeah, I was a teenager. The car show that was. <laughs> yeah. We talk about that someday because that's cars and guitars. That's I'm still working on stuff with that. Believe it or not. Uh, but so we'll save that because that's a little bit longer, more involved story. Uh, but anyway, so Jeff comes in and he goes, how are we doing on Skunkcaster? I said, let's talk to the owner. And he goes, yeah, we got to develop that and stuff. And Dell's your guy. He'll, you know, he'll do it, you know. And, 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 and Jeff goes, yeah, he always know how to pager. And he goes, okay, so I'll page you and you can call me from your office. And I go, Jeff, I don't have that pager. <laughs> I that, but I didn't uh -oh. know his amp. I lost it, but I have a cell phone now. Okay. And I, and he goes, Oh, mobile for mobile phone. And I said, Oh that, yeah, that's great. A mobile phone. Well, I said, let me give you the number. And he goes, he looks on his phone. He's already got it. I said, Jeff, I just got it. I mean, I came to Nam. I'm showing it to you. And he goes, look at this. And he pulls up on his phone, which is really elaborate was like the thing like this, or it might've been a flip phone, but it was big. And he's got the whole dossier on me on his phone. What? And, and he's not kidding. And he goes, this is your cell number, mobile number? And I'm like, yeah, that's it, Jeff. And they go, how could you possibly have that? And my birthday and every other thing on there. He goes, I work for the government. Oh. <laughs> he goes, but we don't use that, honestly. He said, don't worry. I just have it because I know you and I got it. And he said, and I also want to tell you you're queen. And I oh. said, well, thank you, Jeff. Oh, good. And he said, let me do a favor for you, okay? He goes... Here's an air strategic, strategic air command sticker. If you put this on the back of your car, right? He goes, you will never get a ticket. Any cop that stops you, you'll have to, he'll see that and you're free and clear. Now don't break the law, but if you do get stopped for any reason, that will get you out of the ticket, right? So the epilogue to the story, you know, the next NAM show, he remembered that, probably put it in a dossier. And he said, he says, hey, Dell, did you get any tickets in the past year? And I go, no. And he goes, I told you. <laughs> I never got stopped, but I'm, what am I going to tell him? And I don't even remember. If I, did you put it on the car? What? Sorry, did you end up putting the sticker on the car? Yeah. I, you did. A, oh, yeah. A, you know, a little bump. I think I put it on my company car. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then one day, we, Jeff, I was supposed to go see him, and he called me on my cell. And Jeff said, uh, I can't do it today. We just had a missile shoot that didn't, we had a test and it didn't work. So I have to go to Washington. <laughs> oh my God. Just like matter of fact, and these stories are not secret. You can Google, see the story. Most interesting guy. He's like Buckethead, you know, the war that yeah. you know, Colonel Sanders has had just so, but great musician, Jeff, one of the greatest of all time. And one of the greatest people, the charitable stuff, anything you ask the guy to do. Um, and then, and then Kenny Wayne's amp came back and I put it back in stock and there was my pager. There's your pager. <laughs> Dead on arrival, but it was, it ran around the country in the back of Kenny Wayne Shepard's uh, 65 twin reverb. So there's another, I don't know if Kenny even knew that, uh, but of course I got my, was one of the first guys to get a, a mobile phone. So if anyone I, from Fender's listening, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you. I <laughs> Sorry. So that would be the most um, uh, really brilliant and a guy that I, you know, ad admired for his talent and then meeting him. 
And I guess another one would be, if you want me to continue in that theme. Yeah. Another one would be Mike, Nes Mike Nesmith. And we had mentioned the monkeys and, you know, even how John Lennon loved those guys. He understood what they were, a pop band. But a lot of people, I met Peter Tork and I met, all, I actually met all of them. And Peter was my favorite. And you, and he was a cool guy hmm. and he was a blues artist. So he used to come and bring CDs. I'm somewhere of his band. Um, but uh, uh, you can add to the story because you, you were part of it. So Mike Nesmith called me and um, just artist relations. And I talked to him on the phone and he was just, a, a, once again, a gentleman. And I'm thinking, this guy wrote, he's created country rock. I mean, he wrote uh, Linda Ronstadt's first hit, you know, different drum. And he, and he had his, his band that was before the Eagles and groups like that. And his mom invented Whiteout. Oh, there really? Mike oh, mom. And Mike Nesmith invented, inv invented MTV. I had Elephant Parts on VHS when we first had that, that old VHS player. Elephant Parts was a series of videos that also discovered um, that famous wrestler. Who's the most famous? Hulk Hogan. Wrestler. Who is it? Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. He discovered Hulk Hogan. He put him in. He was a wrestler, but he put him in a video and it became it, Elephant Parts. Any, anyone listening to this should check it out. It was before MTV and it is MTV. It's a oh, series wow. of all his songs done as videos in one place. Brilliant. So I told Mike that. I said, Mike, I'm aware of this stuff, the innovation. He said, well, the monkeys are going to get back together. He didn't always play with them. We're going to do the tour, an anniversary tour. And he said, I don't want to use an orchestra. And he said, some of the songs that we recorded and we played like... Um, daydream believer which you know uh uh he said they have orchestrations in that song i don't want an orchestra it's going to be the four of us to show the talent we can all do it people knew that but now we're going to show the world and he said i'm uh i'm i want uh, electronics in my guitar well we had roland company i work with today and they had developed this uh, roland ready guitar that was with fender we had a joint thing so i got him the guitar and it was what they call midi back in the day where you could interface with electronics when everyone thought keyboard players were going to rule the world they again they still call it midi it's so they do okay midi yeah. <laughs> so you could play your guitar through a synthesizer but you had to have a special plug you couldn't just use a quarter inch jack like your amp yeah and so this one had that and it could interface with all the electronics that he recorded so he could play all the orchestrated parts on his guitar and it would come out as the orchestration just like it's a synthesizer like a keyboard player can do today get any sound yeah and so we got invited so he really loved the fact that i was able to get it for him i gave him the endorsement and I was honored to work with them like anyone else of that stature. And so then we got invited to the first concert, which was a VIP event. I remember that. Yeah. And I brought you because mm -hmm. I knew that you like those guys. You like Peter. You like the people that like Ringo, like, you know, in that movie, 500 Days of Summer. I, I love Ringo. And he goes, why? It's my favorite Beatle. Rigo's nobody's favorite Beatle. He's my favorite Beatle. <laughs> no, he's a lot of people. And so Peter, as friendly and nice as he was, and Davey was, they all looked the same, you know, it was oh, like wow. what, 1996, I think, or whenever it was. Yeah. And you sat with who? Kevin Costner. We're not I remember, dropping. I remember that. On a couch. Kevin Costner. Was, and um, do you remember what you told me? You were like 11 or 12. I don't know, but I do remember talking to him and I remember um, he smelled 
So good. Sorry if that's so weird to talk about, but I just remember he was wearing this cologne. I have no idea what it was, but he smelled so good. And I was talking to him and he was like really nice to me. And we were like talking for a while. And I mean, you guys, yeah, I was like 12, 13 years old, right? Like I was a kid and, but I'm talking to him and I, you know, in my head, I'm probably like thinking like, I'm like kind of flirty or something, whatever. And then, you know, and then he's like, oh, you remind me so much of my daughter. And it, like, I remember that this guy's like 30 years older than me, you know, and it's <laughs> Kevin Costner. Um, but yeah, I do. And wait, not just Kevin Costner. Hold on. Uh, 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 who was the other one there? He was wearing a helmet with the anarchy logo on it. Do you remember? Oh. Um, I don't remember uh, that the guy from, sorry, I, I'm having a, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Oh yeah. Billy Bob. Right. Yeah. Billy he was Bob. there was too. In his own right. You know, we've worked, we had endorsements with Bill, Billy Bob as well. Yeah. I remember uh, he was wearing so a he, helmet. It was kind of weird. Sorry, Billy Bob. Uh, Bob. Didn't he wear the vial with the blood in it? Of, with uh, Angelina. Movie? Yeah. yeah. All right. We won't go I'm there okay with that. that. One. But you're right. Billy Bob. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do. That was a fun night, but I did. I, I think, didn't, did I come up to you? And the, is that what I said? That Kevin Costner smelled so good? Is that what you were oh, going to say? You told me that. That's what yeah. you said. He smelled so good. And I went home and I'm like, <laughs> disconnect here, you know? It's funny about Billy Bob too, because it's funny you say that because the other day there was a little food truck at the ocean. We were hiking and we went to this fundraising event and I wanted to get French fries for everybody. That's like, nobody wanted to eat a big lunch. I said, well, I'll grab some French fries. And I go up and the guy goes, hey, what do, you, what do you want? And I go, I'll have some of them French fried potatoes. And the guy mm -hmm. looked at me like I'm crazy. That's from Sling Blade. That's oh, yeah. Thing. Whenever I do that, obviously, if you know it, maybe it's not funny, but I just kind of joke. You know, have No, it's funny. Lots of people potatoes. make that joke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This guy was like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> By the way, Dwight Yoakam, who I work with, I told him after Sling Blade, I was in the studio, he was recording. And uh, I said, hey, Dwight, I, I thought you were a great actor in that, you know, Sling Blade, you're amazing, such an asshole, uh, a-hole, you know, excuse my French, but whatever. And uh, and he said, oh, thank you very much. And the band calls me over and says, don't talk about movies with him, okay? Cause you're just gonna get him started. <laughs> oh no, wait a <laughs> second. Wait. He was the guy. He was the guy, it wasn't Billy Bob, I'm sorry. It was Dwight Yoakam. Sorry. That's it. See, that's why I remember because he always wore because he's got a weird shaped head. I mean, good looking guy, but he always wears a big cowboy hat. Yeah. Without it, that's the play he played in, in Sling Blade. Yeah. And then the guitar player, I got to think of his name, but uh, uh, Landau, Michael Landau was the guitar. I think he was the guitar player in there or somebody. Anyway, that was a great band, but they were terrible. Remember when they're practicing and everything like that? You know, Dwight's <laughs> character, of course, which is the key to Sling Blade. Um, but that's right. That's why I thought that. See how it goes. You yeah. Up Billy Bob. He was the one wearing the helmet. Sorry, Dwight Yoakam was wearing well, he is, the helmet. He can be different, you know. And I then the smell thing was the point of the story. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner. Yeah, so, that was a fun show. So the best part of Mike Nesmith. So he always stayed in touch with me. Would call me. We talk about things. He had a new record. He would send me stuff. So one day he calls me up and he said, "Are you on your computer?" And I go, "Always." You know, I'm in when I'm in my office and you know I'm working and doing my calls. He said, okay, go to this site, you know, so we go. And, um, and he said, open this up. And here's the, whatever the, the key was to get it there, password. And all of a sudden I'm on this alien landscape. And it's, it's really cool. It's really vivid. And he said, like, turn your head. And I turn and I'm looking at the landscape on my computer. And this is before anything with avatars or anything. 
And he said, I'm working on this new program. I want to bring it to you for Fender. It's brilliant. And he said, even if I do say so myself, maybe that the words he was saying, you guys would be the first ones on this, right? And I said, well, what does it do? And he said, did you look behind you? And I look around and it's him as an avatar. Oh. And he said, you're an avatar. You know, he said, I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. And he said, we can put anything in here and people are going to pay. This is before cryptocurrency. They pay money. They'll buy stuff. So a dollar, yeah. they can buy a vendor amp and you can use it to promote your products, but you can also do it to be part of this creative world that I'm in that I want to bring you into. And I'm like, this is amazing. And he showed me all the stuff. I go to Fender Marketing. We have our weekly, monthly meetings, actually, where I went to Scottsdale. I told the Fender Marketing, I go, you're an idiot. This is the stupidest thing. Nobody's going to want to buy it. Well, I understand. I didn't understand what put 2.0 either. That's why I'm in NFTs. Now. I'm not going to miss the train two times. But I understand why. I'm not blaming them. And then think of Farm and think of all those sites that made yeah. money. Um and it wasn't about money. He was just saying, this could be a great thing for you. you could, people could pick their Fender guitar. And that could be a future. You could even put music stuff. You could teach people stuff. Yeah. So far. Oh, so that, that's the, that's my Mike Nesmith story. You know, and sadly, when he, he passed away, I, I, those memories came back on just what a gentleman, but just brilliant mind. I mean, so far ahead. You know, he never stopped creating. Wow. So. Aww. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't do it on my own, but legally, when you work for a corporation, you, I, you know, I guess I could have done it, but I didn't have the brain with, you know. No, you had a lot, you had a lot going on. You were a busy yeah. guy back then, for sure. And then, yeah, I mean, just ahead of his time, because now people are buying yachts and houses land. and land all land. in the virtual world. Land, you know, oh my God. Yeah. I don't understand it, um, but, you know, I'm sure... Freya is going to be really into that stuff one day. You know? Okay, cool. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, thank you again so much to everyone that listened. Please don't forget to do all of the social media things like like it, share it. Um, it will help us out a lot. If, if we eventually get these videos on YouTube, please do the subscribe thingies and all the YouTube stuff. Um, thank you guys so much. And again, dad, happy birthday tomorrow. It's coming yeah. up. It's a big I'll one. Soon. Gambler gonna... 28th and at, yep. uh, in, uh, in St. Charles, Arcata uh, theater. And let's thank Andy, your wonderful husband that, yeah. that, that talk about my understanding of doing videos and putting things together is like everyone else's on NFTs. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> lost, you know, so we, I, I know you and I both appreciate him and his hard work and diligence in, in doing this. And my, and the people that listen to it, that comment to me, they're like, tell this story. Well, you got to tell you didn't tell this story. So we got a lot coming up. You know? We got a lot more to cover for sure. We're just getting started guys. This is our third episode. So we're just getting started here. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, dad. Have a wonderful Welcome. day. Enjoy your week and we will talk to you guys soon. Okay. Bye.